Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Robert Timothy. Yay! Yay! We have got a very fun, very wild episode for you today. I know I keep saying that, but holy shit, I don't think you're ready for how fucking crazy this gets in the third act. Uh, and we are joined by the host of Science Faction, Robert Timothy. Bobby. Bobby boy. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a crazy episode where I not only learned a whole lot about the SLA and Patricia Hearst, but a whole bunch about wildlife that I did not know before. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm so excited for the rest of you to hear that. Uh, before we get started, we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash podcast to check out all of our tiers and rewards. If you're looking for a new place to listen to the show, we suggest Rooster Teeth. Cock-a-doodle-doo! <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, you can go to roosterteeth.com or you can check out the Rooster Teeth app on your Roku television, Amazon Fire Stick, uh, your Xbox, and your mobile device. Uh, we have a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, shows, podcasts, all that junk. Go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think without any further ado, let's get into this Buck Wild episode. <laughs> Hello. 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 Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these these are are our opinions. opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Robert Timothy. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! So we are continuing our coverage of the Symbionese Liberation Army and their abduction of Patricia Hurst. Uh, it has been a wild two weeks. This week is also going to be wild. <laughs> How are you guys feeling? I'm fucking excited. I'm so excited. This is this has been like so eye-opening, especially for a case you think you've heard a thousand times, but you've only heard this one little tidbit of it. You didn't realize there was a dude with bombs in his cargo shorts just running around having the time of his life, living yeah. his like real true life. Li- living his wild boy truth. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's even worse knowing that he could have just opened a very successful ice cream truck. Like, come <laughs> yeah. on, dude. Yes. Donald DeFries, you... <sighs> I get mad every time I see that. Like, that's what (laughs) same thing with this bitch ass Robert Frost motherfucker. Like, he also (laughs) could have just opened up a very successful ice cream store instead of writing poetry. I mean, well, you could say that two roads diverged in a wood and he took the one less traveled. But (laughs) that's that's only if you're a poetry nerd. That's real Uh, good, Paige. Do you write that? I like it. No. No, Robert Frost did. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> my my husband, so my husband, as most of you listeners know, is from Texas. And there is a kind of ice cream that up until now we believed was only available in Texas and then found a place in L.A. that imports it from Texas. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, Listeria and all. And uh, so my husband has been slowly eating 
all of the test pies I made for the pies that I'm going to make on 4th of July with uh-huh. just piles of butter pecan bluebell ice cream. So he would be in favor of all of these ice cream shenanigans. <laughs> I like the idea that like you could only find it in Texas because this ice cream open carries handguns. <laughs> <laughs> they just hand you one with every pint. They're just like, careful out in these streets. <laughs> these flavors are dangerous. They actually, they have a flavor that we found called bridal cake that tastes like our wedding cake, which is very strange. Now, I do have a a question. If you add this ice cream to a pie, is that technically altering it, which is against the law, I've I've heard? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's enhancing it. Uh, Mm. Apparently, it's... It's very good on my uh, Dutch apple pie, the like crumble pie, and the peach rosemary cobbler. Apparently, wow. it's very, very good. I'm so fucking jealous of Jake right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. He also, we were at the grocery store the other night, and he picked up a bunch of bananas. And I was like, you don't like bananas. And he was like, can you make banana bread again, though? So they're now sitting on my counter waiting <laughs> to get ripe. We've, we're just wasting bananas uh, so I can make banana bread again. So... There you go. I made muffins the other night to share with my roast compatriots. I saw it. Yeah. I messaged you, I'm pretty sure, on that Instagram post and was just like, so jealous. I have more muffins if you want them, but they do have dairy in them. So give a fuck, Paige. All right, then I will bring you some muffins. When I was in Texas, I drank Torchy's queso, okay? (laughs) I don't give a fuck, Paige. All right. Well, then I will text you after this and we will arrange a drop off for some muffins. Yes. So let's get into this episode and let's start with our sources as always. Uh, most of these are going to be the same. We are still pulling from the radical story of Patty Hearst, that CNN documentary series, uh, and the Britannica article on the SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army by Laura Lambert. We also have the Rise and Fall of the Symbionese Liberation Army by PBS and blackpast.org, the Symbionese Liberation Army by Weston W. Cooper. We have the FBI government files on Patricia Campbell Hearst. We have a Slate article from 2002, which is what is the Symbionese Liberation Army. Uh, we do also still have Gregory Garth Cummings' <laughs> dissertation, <laughs> The End of an Era, The Rise of the Symbionese Liberation Army and the Fall of the New Left. Yeah. Uh, we then also have the Danville Register. Patty Hearst's chief captor emerges as a man capable of love and violence. Ooh. And the New York Times article, Sinkyu, a dropout who has been in constant trouble. And People Magazine's The Man and the Mystery Behind the SLA Terror. Now, a little recap as to where we left off last week. The SLA has just abducted Patricia Hearst without a full plan as to how they were going to what they were going to do after they don't realize how much money her family actually has they don't really even know what they're going to do with her once they have her but now they have her and at first they're so disorganized they don't even take credit for the kidnapping yet and they thought that just the pure fact of her kidnapping would start the revolution that they were the right people at the right time and everyone else was dragging their feet and people would immediately figure it out but people were confused when it first hit the news people were just like why like why her what happened 
And it wasn't until they found one of the getaway cars empty that they realized that this was clearly a planned kidnapping. And because it's the Hearsts, the FBI is immediately involved. In fact, the Hearsts' house becomes FBI central at that point. They're so rich and famous, the FBI comes to them instead of the other way around. So, like, the FBI basically makes a war room in their house. While that's happening, Stephen, her uh, fiance, is in the hospital. He was in the hospital for a week as they were, like, setting bones and casts because he got fucked up during that kidnapping. They beat the shit out of him at one point with a wine bottle. It was, like, a whole thing. And reporters just camped out on the Hearst's lawn. So inside, you have the FBI listening, plotting, planning everything, and then every day or every couple days as the case kind of wore on, the reporters would just wait on the lawn and they would just come out and do press conferences as they got new information. It was almost like the White House, where it's just there's always people there waiting and the president just kind of comes out and talks whenever. And so that's what's going on at the Hearst house. And they didn't leave a ransom note. Everyone thought this was a money grab because she's an heiress. Yeah. But nobody knew what they wanted. No one had asked for anything yet because, spoiler, the SLA didn't know what they were going to ask for before they took her. They didn't think that far ahead. Now, on camera, her family, although upset and scared, seems very controlled and prim and proper. But inside the house, it was a nightmare. There are 104 FBI agents in and around that house every day working on that case. And it's only three days after the kidnapping at this point. Like, it is, this is the first 48 on stun. After three days, the SLA finally decides that they have figured out what they're going to ask for, and they issue what they call a communique. And it's a recording, and it's them saying that this is them executing a warrant for Patricia's arrest because of her family's crimes against the people. And they end it with death to the fascist insect preys on the lives of the people. Fuck yeah! And... They also say that if anyone tries to arrest them or rescue Patricia, they would kill Patricia. Oh, they threatened to kill her. Uh, fuck no. <laughs> yeah, you really agreed to that one a little bit too early, Mondo. I just like the phrasing. The phrasing is cool. But then they have an additional demand. They want her father, son of a media magnet, working at a big newspaper, on camera every day or every time they send them, to read the communiques out loud on camera for press conferences. So he's now reading the demands aloud, talking about how they're going to kill his daughter. And they're understandably upset. But in all of these communiques that they've sent, there's not a real clear sense of what they want or why they even did it. Because they hadn't even thought it through. They were like, Oh, we managed to do it without fucking it up. What's next? They hadn't thought of the next step. Meanwhile, they do know that they want to try and get Joe and Russ out of prison. So that becomes their first demand. That's the first one they send out after the first round of communiques. But here's the problem. Ronald Reagan is currently governor Mm -hmm. and Nixon is president. 
And they both basically say, fuck you. We aren't negotiating with terrorists. We're keeping your friends. You all can get fucked. And the SLA was not prepared for that answer. Yeah, that sounds like a direct quote from Richard Nixon, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, They hadn't expected that. They thought for sure that they were just going to turn the prisoners over and they'd give Patty back. They were so, they so much didn't expect it. They didn't think they'd have Patricia for very long. They hadn't planned to have her for more than a couple days because they thought for sure they'd just be handing her right back. Yeah, they thought they had Nixon by the jowls, by his fucking droopy dog looking (laughs) ass face. So they had to improvise and they're theater kids. So (laughs) there was a lot of yes anding. It's a lot of yes anding. And so they blindfold Patty and keep her in a closet And every day they would interrogate her and emotionally abuse her. And then they started to pull her out every couple days to have her read messages on tape, which were then played for the media. And it's her basically saying, I'm not being starved or beaten. Uh, But she is clearly upset and scared in, in the tapes. And DeFreeze would talk her through what she was going to say. Now, here's the thing. She wasn't starved or beaten necessarily as far as we know because they didn't know what to do they were like what how do you how do you hostage what do we do and of course they're they're trying to keep defreeze from blowing everybody up because his plans are always you know reactionary as fuck and you've got these three theater kids from indiana who are just like we honestly didn't we thought we we thought we would have given her back by now like i don't what are we supposed to do with her so they just start feeding her and kind of giving her books and trying to figure out what they're going to do. And now they also know that they're not going to get the original thing that they asked for because Reagan and Nixon are just like, shove it. We're not giving it to you. Does it does it seem to anybody else like this is like a, a really obscure basis for the movie Three Men and a Baby? We're like, <laughs> <laughs> like we got stuck in this weird situation. How are we going to do it? Oh, antics and tail. I was I was going to say they sound a lot like first time parents where they're just yeah. like I don't I don't want to fuck up my first hostage. I don't know. At one point, two of the kidnappers make eye contact after a lot of bad stuff has happened, but finally they had a touching moment with Patricia and they make eye contact <laughs> and like, can we really do this? Maybe we can be parents. Well, and remember, she's blindfolded the whole time. She is blindfolded for give or take 40 days in a row. It's nuts. This is my favorite movie, by the way. Three men, one woman, and a kidnapped person. (laughs) Well, it's actually, if, if you want the breakdown, because Joe and Russ are now in prison, it's three men, five women. Ooh. And then patty so <laughs> i like how armando and i had the same creepy reaction at the same time well i hate to tell you but further into this episode other people are gonna have that creepy reaction and <laughs> anyway so they then decide they're gonna put together another request of a quote-unquote show of good faith and what they want the hearse to do is to provide $70 worth of food distributed to anyone who needs it in the state of california but here's the thing. They really could use Stephen Weed on this one because they're bad at math. And they don't realize that what they have asked for essentially equates to around $400 million. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They asked to, to implement a welfare system in California. <laughs> right. Right. Now, Patricia's father, Randy, is just like, 
okay, I know that that that's impossible. Like these people are not in touch with reality. But here's what I can do. And he founds a charity. And here's the thing. You cannot start a well-oiled, well-functioning charity overnight. But they try. And he invests about, it's about two weeks after the kidnapping. He invests $2 million to create a charitable organization and to partner with people who had been working with other charitable organizations to try and provide some of these services. And they get like a dream team of charity workers from other programs to come in and start working on it. But also remember, her father is not the direct heir to the fortune. So while they are super rich, they're not 400 million rich. And they, are, they aren't even 10 million rich. Like as far as things that are immediately liquid. Literally the bulk of the money they have at their disposal right now they just gave to charity that full two million was like all they had immediately available available without reaching out to the further Hearst organization but the cult uses this against Patricia and they start telling her that her family doesn't care about her and she's been captive for two weeks blindfolded in a closet and so to her based on the information she's getting from them it sounds like her parents are lowballing and haggling for the price of her release. And she knows that her parents aren't as rich as her grandparents, but surely they could pool family resources. And so to her, it starts to make the group sound more true. So they start assigning a group of SLA members to talk to her. Mainly Willie Wolf, who is the archaeology student. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot how fucking cool his name sounds, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emily Harris and Angela Atwood. So two of the girls and Willie. And they specifically picked the ones that were like students so she could kind of identify with them. And they describe her as being a model prisoner. Scared. But once they started explaining why they had kidnapped her and what they wanted, which essentially what it boils down to as far as how they're describing it to her, they want to provide food and resources to the poor and they're going to use her family to do that. And as somebody who was never super into being a socialite to begin with, maybe that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, right. And they become laser focused on, quote, re-educating her. They made her memorize and recite their pamphlets. They made her read books and all kinds of literature backing up what they have said. Now, again, mind you, this is a activist group purporting itself to be a black activist group, despite being composed mostly of white people who have not done the work with actual black activist groups to know what needs to go on. So they are very idealistic, but not grounded in the reality of the help that actually needs to be done and the work that would need to go on for that to happen. And frankly, they're also not grounded in, as we just talked about, basic mathematics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They are also all in ski masks so she can't see any of their faces and then she is also blindfolded uh reportedly she didn't eat for the first the bulk of the first week because she didn't trust them not to poison her wow. um and so they eventually had to like unblindfold her but keep ski masks on and they would eat to prove that they hadn't poisoned her because again these are mostly a bunch of college students who don't know why they did this and are kind of that like so they are 
quote unquote treating her well, but she is also definitely a captive, definitely being brainwashed and definitely being held against her will in conditions that make you susceptible to lowering of your defenses against propaganda and uh, some of the false narratives they were telling her. Yeah. The group also now consisted, as I mentioned, of five women and three men, including DeFreeze. And since Patricia was largely interacting with the women, the bulk of the messages she got were women's empowerment, which was also something she was interested in. So to her, she's only getting the good information from them, which is an idealized version of what's going on and sounds a lot more organized than what is actually going on. And as far as information from the outside world, she's only getting... Your parents don't love you and they're not willing to pay to get you out even though you know they have the money. In the midst of all this, there's something else going on in this house. Everybody was fucking. Damn. Dead serious. Uh, DeFreeze, Nancy, and Ms. Moon were a thruple. But also, Ms. Moon and Camilla were a couple. (laughs) Bill and Emily although married, had a consensually open relationship and had a thruple thing going on with Angela. But then also, Angela had been in a thruple with Joe and Russ before they went to prison. Which, again, this is all consensual adults doing this, but it's like a musical chairs of fucking in this house. I forgot until this very moment that these are theater kids, and now it makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? I would be really offended in this environment if you think about it, because it's like, oh, like, there's this group of three people, and they're fucking, and then there's another group, and they're fucking, and any group you'd be excluded from, you'd be like, well, now what's going on here? Like, (laughs) It seems like there's really no boundaries with the way you guys are fucking, but I'm not allowed in this room when you guys are doing... I'm allowed in this one? I mean, you'll notice that there was somebody's name that I didn't necessarily list in that list, and it was the archaeology student. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) He he was not digging any pussy, that's for sure. What what was going on that he wasn't getting laid? Does anybody want to touch Willy Wolf's wolfy willy? (laughs) We'll we'll get into it, and it is upsetting. Um, so I'm just preparing you now. Yeah. Anyway, what we're running into with this group is idealism, but poor execution. Yeah. Their ideas aren't terrible. Their execution is the worst. The worst. So they keep sending communiques, and they're still telling Patricia what to say. Uh, things like, I'm being held under the Geneva Conventions, and this should apply to our prisoners that you have... But again, she's been kidnapped and being held against her will. And so people are like, well, it sounds like she's saying this. And it's like, maybe some of these comments are from her. But also, she has been held captive for 30 days. (laughs) Like, you can't trust anything. Like, she has, this is such a traumatic experience that this is absolutely going to alter your thinking and she is going to do a number of things to try and preserve her own safety so i don't hold much of any of this against her well yeah i mean who could that would be like when you see the videos of the dudes who get detained in north korea and they're like i was detained by a righteous government who was trying to cop me as a spy and you're like that was bill he was there on a church group mission he just he has to say it because otherwise he's gonna get uh, shocked tonight by a car battery yeah exactly yeah and that that's the reality and i feel like 2021 vision and us being people that talk about cults and manipulative organizations all the time 
that's how I view this. She is has been through something traumatic. She is a captive. She was manipulated. There are definitely things she does later on that I would call bad decisions, but also I'm like, yeah, she'd been captive. Like people do crazy things yeah. in cults because they have been manipulated and traumatized. And so at the time, that is very much not the view. And we'll get to it um, later in this episode where the news narrative shifts very harshly against her. Mm. And I think it's very unfair, personally. Uh, I, I do think that she deserves a, a measure of compassion that is not afforded to her at this time. Do you think some of that is because she's so wealthy? Because she's from, like, the wealthiest family in the country? Whereas if, if it, this had been just some random person who got kidnapped and was being treated this way, everybody would be like, oh, yeah, she's totally a victim. But there's something where we go, I don't know, she's super wealthy. That bitch kind of deserved it. Hmm. No, I think it's actually the opposite because at this time and part of the backlash she gets is backlash against the counterculture movement in general. And she goes from being, oh, this poor heiress who was taken to just one of those common criminal kids ruining our country. And so I think anyone who had done what happens to her would have gotten that same treatment. Hers is just widely publicized because of who she is. Yeah. And I feel like there is also a difficult line to walk here, as you know we've been talking about. They're asking for things like give food to the poor. Right. And so at a very simplistic level, even though these are the people holding you captive, they're also telling you your parents have the ability to help people and they're not, just like they're not helping you right now. Right. And so why don't you join us? Like, why don't you believe the things we believe? And it makes it kind of an easier entry. And I think this comes back to what we see with cults a lot of the time where they're meeting a tangible need. And right now her need is to get out of captivity. And they're like, well, your parents aren't going to help you just like they don't help anyone. Just like none of the fascist pigs help anyone. Damn. We're the only ones who can help you now. The The idea that people would hold her accountable for things that she was being forced to say on a taped recording while she was kidnapped and held in a closet for months on end is insane. Like, I will tell you, I have been in, like, work meetings that lasted two and a half hours, and by the end of that meeting, I was like, fuck it, fine, let's dissolve the company. I don't care. Whatever you're saying, it doesn't matter. <laughs> end this goddamn meeting. I couldn't imagine if that went on for 40 days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I will be clear at this point, people still believe she's being forced to say what she's saying, and her parents do believe she's being manipulated at this point. There is a point at which that shifts, and we will cover it. Um, I think, regardless of the shift, I, I think you really have to go back to she was a captive. She was yeah. manipulated. And that's your starting point. So I feel like, I, I really feel very conflicted about holding her responsible for almost anything that happens after that because I feel like you're starting at a place of really breaking a person down. And let's not forget that like it's not like she doesn't think these people are capable of horrible violence. She watched her boyfriend almost be beat to death in the very beginning Absolutely. of this. Absolutely. She knows they've murdered somebody yeah. already. She she knows the house is full of guns, which to be honest is what they start having her do next cuz now it's been a month almost and they don't know what, no one's taking her off their hands. They're not giving the money they asked for. They're not trading prisoners. And they're just stuck with a hostage that 
they can't get rid of. And so they start teaching her to assemble and disassemble firearms blindfolded. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Specifically, they have her uh, learn to use a shotgun. Meanwhile, her parents' brand new charity, People in Need, kicks into high gear. But because they're rushing it, and and in part because her parents do also believe that she is in imminent danger, but they also have limited resources. So they are trying to pump as much money as they can into this brand new charity, but it's disorganized and it's not effective on the scale that it needed to be. And then on top of it, they get a kick in the balls from Governor Reagan because they're trying to set up food distribution points. And Reagan, knowing that they are doing this as a means to try and get Patricia back, goes on television and says that he asks people to basically refuse food from the charity, saying, I hope everyone who takes food from them gets botulism. What the which is, fuck? Whoa. Yes, which is fucking insane because it is literally food for people who can't afford food. Fuck you, Reagan. If anything, you should be like, yeah, here, I'll help the charity part. You handle your kid. The Like, the fact that he is trying to tell people who are starving not to take free food because of his bullshit, we don't negotiate with terrorists nonsense... He should be kicked in the fucking teeth. I ooh, I don't like Reagan for a lot of reasons. Th- this one made me exceptionally mad. I hope all I you like, hungry people uh, get horrible diseases. Yeah, what the for, fuck? For taking things that you for taking things that you can't afford because the economy's in the toilet and no one else is providing for you because the welfare system is bro- broken. So, yeah, I hope that you trying to feed your starving children get botulism. Fuck you. Also, fuck you. What a fucking pole botulism, dude. Like, what yeah. I know. I would have, it would have even been better if he was like, I hope everyone who takes this gets the common cold. Hmm. Well, and, and here's the thing. I understand feeling like it's a sort of betrayal to say like, we aren't going to work with these people or negotiate with these people. And then other people try to do it anyway. Sure. But here's, here's the thing. It's a person's kid. Yeah. They're not going to stop trying to get them back. And if this is the demand, this is, I mean, I understand. And part of the reason that they chose not to help them meet the demand is because they figured that it would encourage other people to do the same and that they would just start kidnapping heiresses all the time. Right. But part of me is like, maybe that's, I, I get it. But like, maybe your answer is let's partner with the hearse to figure this out and get her back. Because mind you, the FBI is still looking for her at this time. The investigation never stops. And so the fact that he's just like, what do they want? Food for the poor. They can get fucked. <laughs> You're just like, what? what is this madness? Anyway, the charity was not prepared to disperse that much food. They hadn't had enough time to hire enough people. They hadn't had enough time to set up you know, places to disperse them. And now they have the governor while like turning people against them while they are actively trying to disperse food to populations in need and so what happens is they end up pulling trucks up and there's just giant crowds and they end up just throwing food off the trucks which is not effective and so it starts riots so now 
the governors on TV being like, I hope everyone who takes that food gets sick. Poor people are just trying to get food. And then the news is televising multiple different riots all because of this one charity. And it's the worst possible publicity. And at this point, the SLA decides to give Patricia a radio and a TV so that she can watch the news. And she doesn't have the context behind it. So what she's seeing is her parents, A, quote, lowballing on trying to get her out of captivity, Mm -hmm. and then B, for their quote-unquote show of good faith to distribute this food to poor people, she's watching as riots are erupting because they're so ineffective and it seems like they half-assed it. And it's not that. It's them trying to quickly do something that takes time and planning, but the SLA doesn't understand what that organization takes because they're not organized. They have no idea. They are just theater kids with guns. Right. So, theater kids with guns is my favorite. That's my, that's my favorite I mean, that's, pop punk band I've ever heard of. <laughs> theater kids with guns. I heard they're playing the the Vans Off the Wall tour this year. <laughs> At this point, the SLA decides to make an additional demand for another four million dollars to fund the charity properly and have it function properly, but the Hearst don't have it. And it's because of what I kind of described in the last episode where William Randolph Hearst didn't trust any one of his kids with the full fortune. So he split it up amongst companies and boards of directors within those companies and trustees to dispense that kind of money. So her parents go to the board and are like, we need this extra money to try and get Patricia back. And the board says no. The board is like, we already gave two million and that didn't get her back. What is our guarantee that the four million will, or they'll just keep asking her for money? So I'm sorry, you don't get that money. So they refuse to give them the money to get their daughter back. At this point, their hands are tied. They can try and raise that much money, but it's going to take a considerably longer time. The charity is already in shambles, and it's hemorrhaging money more than the two million that they've already put into it. It's it's in the red. And so at this point, Randy does a press conference and basically admits that he doesn't have the money available. And he uses a pretty unfortunate phrase, it's out of my hands. And so (sighs) Patty, Patricia is now sitting in this closet, hearing her father on the news say that he is no longer going to do anything to prevent her from being a captive now she doesn't know what happened behind the scenes and how he literally has no other recourse and how they're still trying to you know have the fbi get her back and all this stuff is happening she's just hearing him say that it's out of his hands and she also knows that the board would have had money so she knows that someone somewhere refused to pay for her to be released and now she's fucking furious because she believes her family's abandoned her everything the cult has said to her is true you know she's not getting out her her rich family can't pay or won't pay to feed the poor and get her out and now her communiques start to change believing that she's fully abandoned 
she begins to spend more time with the SLA members, specifically Willie Wolf, and they strike up allegedly according to other SLA members. And again, grain of salt, she is still a captive. But they start kind of a friendship where they're reading the same books. They're talking about school. She is still blindfolded the entire time, by the way. She is still a captive. Which makes it really hard to read those books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's just fucking listening to audio tapes. and just... I, I think what, because I think they would keep her in the closet and allow her to have her blindfold off in the closet. Mm-hmm, right. So that she could read and watch the TV and then, but anytime any of them around, they didn't want her to see their face. So she was blindfolded outside the closet. It yeah, seemed. because they're all students at the same university. They probably like shared freshman level psych together. <laughs> yeah, probably actually. I think Willie's a couple years ahead of her, but not much. Um, now, according to her captors, and again, I want to stress that according to their version of the story, they noticed that she had developed what seemed to be a crush on Willie and Angela asked her if there was anyone that she would like to have sex with. And allegedly she said, Willie. Now Patricia has a very different account. And again, I want to stress that she is a hostage yeah. in a traumatic situation. And this should not be considered consent her in any is, stretch. Her account is, yeah, the person I'd like to have sex with is the guy you almost beat to death when we first met. You remember that guy? <laughs> right, yeah. right. Now, according to Bill Harris, who is one of the few surviving members that we have to like a record of their side of the story, he says that there's a pretty big group fight about this and that he and his wife, Emily, don't want them to allow her and Willie to have sex in any form because, as they put it, we're giving her back any day now and what's going to happen if this continue, like, how is this going to work? Essentially, mm-hmm. Willie was on the fence, which I, th- I think is <laughs> no, he real- wasn't. I'll tell you what, maybe part of his body was on the fence. I'll tell you what part his dick was on because it was on the other side of that fence. Right. And one well, and, and I don't they didn't really go into much of why he was kind of on the fence. Uh, but the rest of the group. So Angela, Nancy, Ms. Moon and DeFreeze. They all decide that if Patricia and Willie want to have sex, they'll give them a chance to. So they give them privacy together. Now, again, this differs from Patricia's account. And I will go into Patricia's account in just a bit. She has been blindfolded this whole time. She does not know what Willie looks like. And Bill Harris's account alleges that this is probably the first time she actually sees him and he is, a, I would say, a generally attractive looking guy, but that doesn't fucking matter uh, because she's still a fucking hostage. Yeah. yeah, this is like the worst version of the dating game ever. They're like bachelor number one who you've never seen, but is yelling SLA rhetoric at you for 40 days. <laughs> right. Now, Patricia's account is that she was manipulated, tortured, and raped by her captors. And I'm going to be real with you. The power dynamic here negates consent. Yes, Hundred percent. There's yeah. no. Uh, there's yeah. no alternative explanation yep. for that. You yep. are a fucking captive. You are tied up in a closet with a yep. blindfold on. Yeah, she's been kidnapped. Uh, even if she does say yes, I don't consider that yes right. necessarily. She's been in a closet, blindfolded for over a month at this point. She has full blown Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. She thinks her family has abandoned her. She is vulnerable. She has nowhere to go, and a credible threat of violence if she says no. Right. So I think any way you slice this, it is rape, and it's fucked up. Uh, it's not good. It's not good. 
One hundred percent. There's there's like there's really no argument from the other side. What's the argument? No. Oh no, she was she had a complete agency when she was there with her hands and feet tied and the blindfold Thank on for you. forty days. I'll give you I'll yeah. give you their entire counter argument, and it comes from Willie Wolf, and he's like, "Look, it is wrong. It is terrible. It is despicable, and it is bad." But ain't no one else fucking Willie Wolf, okay? <laughs> I'm a house full of people fucking. Are you kidding me? They should have just taught him how to jerk off. I mean, Jesus Christ. Just jerk off to some bones, you fucking archaeology nerd. Yeah, come on, like the rest of them. <laughs> Ooh, shards of pottery. When archaeologists jerk off, do they just like brush their dick with like a toothbrush to get... I mean, I, 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 I hate to correct you, but technically uh, pottery is called a shard of pottery. A shard would be glass. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Um, now, according to the SLA, she and Willie then enter into a romantic sexual relationship. No. I, again, think that her captivity negates right. that consent. Yeah. Yeah. And and she, again, has stated that she was raped while held captive. So, at this point, the FBI, still actively looking for her, and her mom, kind of furious now about what she knows about the group because now the communiques have changed and now in the communiques patricia is like how dare you not distribute this food how dare you not do what they said like you did not do you aren't getting me back because you didn't do it and her mom petty forever (laughs) accepts a an appointment back to the uc regions directly from governor reagan publicly because she knows it'll be broadcast. And Patty is furious. Her mom is literally tasked with rooting out radicalization in students in response to the communiques. It's like if this story, like the Reagan is such a villain in this story, like a minor player, but he does some mean shit. Yeah. And just all the time, Ronald Reagan, bad politician. Yeah. 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 So at this point, Patty doesn't want to go home because she thinks she's not wanted there. She thinks her family has written her off. She's been a captive for over a month and she's fucking had it because she's like, you guys have had a month to get money that we know my family has to get me out. And you're not even doing the bare minimum of charity for other people to get me out. So fuck y'all. But the SLA doesn't really want to keep her around. They never planned for that. And the longer she's there, the sooner the FBI comes. And then they are all fugitives. And at this point now, they can't get any more money out of her family. So she's useless. (laughs) She's not even a good pawn at this point. But they also don't want to kill her. Or rather, the theater kids have convinced DeFreeze not to kill her. (laughs) You know fucking Donald DeFreeze is just standing in the corner polishing his gun next to a jar of cyanide. And he's like, I could do it. I could do it at any time. You just say the word. Well, and I I think they had talked him out of it by being like, she. it doesn't help us by killing her. It's more helpful to turn her. Meanwhile, the person whose apartment it was in the first place is like, listen, uh, DeFreeze, I'm not saying we kill her or anything, but uh, I really need that closet back. Like, all my stuff (laughs) is just kind of on my bed. God, you're sounding a lot like a wife right now, and I will run away in a heartbeat. (laughs) I'll be in the basement. 
Now, the bigger part of this, and at this point in the organization, it's almost like DeFreeze kind of starts to take a back seat because this has gotten way out of hand. Mm-hmm. And the theater kids are now kind of controlling the narrative because they're trying to do damage control because they can't get any more money for her. They're running out of money. And so they downsize to a studio apartment in the Tenderloin of oh! San Francisco. Right down the street from FBI headquarters at the oh time. Oh, God. So that they can, quote, keep an eye on the FBI. And I'm like, you're right there. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but studio. imagine this is, a studio is eight people in a studio in one of the worst parts of town oh. at the time. Uh, now, they then interrogate her for days about whether or not she wants to stay and force her to convince them to let her stay. Almost like reverse psychology, kind of. Right. And Bill Harris says that they try to talk her out of staying, A, because it's a pain in the ass for them if she stays, and B, he's like, we're all probably going to die at this point. Like, we have fucked up, uh, so if you stay, you're probably going to die. And she decides that she's going to stay, according to them. Again, was a captive for a long time. Decision making is not going to be great. In her mind, she's probably like, well, if I don't do this, they're going to shoot me. Like I'd either I need to convince them I'm on their side in order for them to not harm me, because otherwise I've seen like now that I've seen Willie Wolf's face like, you know, I'm a witness. Yeah, A, there's that. There would It definitely could be that. This is where things start to shift and people start to blame her. Mm. And I think people do crazy things in cults. When we see people who willingly join cults and are manipulated, they go on to do things that are wildly out of character in service of what they believe to be true because they've been manipulated. How much more potent is that if you have been traumatically abducted and then manipulated (laughs) like it's it's an extra dose and so at a certain point i'm like given what she knows and what has happened to her i understand the choices she's making i'm not saying they're the right ones they're bad ones but also given what she's been through you have to imagine that this is what would happen like this is a natural progression i would say at this point, she has been their captive for 58 days. God wow. damn. Wow. And she sends, yeah, and she sends another communique uh, and says that she's never been forced to make any of the tapes, but we do know that is a lie. We know that at least the early tape, she was being forced and coached and was told what to say. Uh, but the SLA give her an option. They tell her that they're going to release her wherever she wants or... She can choose to stay with them. And so she releases a communique saying she's going to stay with them and adopt a new name. And she becomes part of the SLA. And as a way to kind of commemorate it, Willie gives her a necklace made out of a small artifact that he found on a dig. He has a matching one. That'll become important in a little bit. You know, grave robbers. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. just Bobby. take that home. That's not the way this shit works. Yeah, he's just like, he puts it over her and is like, this is an authentic thing that I picked up from a dig site. And she looks at it and she's like, Willie, this is a bottle cap. <laughs> it says Topo Chico on it, bud. What are you doing? 
it's it's kind of like a, a stone a carved stone kind of and it's large like a pendant the way they used to wear them in the 70s oh. Oh, can, I, can I ask did they say where he quote unquote went on a dig I feel like this is BS I think I feel like Billy bought this from the Oakland flea market <laughs> Billy bought that he just he just goes yeah I got this on a dig wink wink allegedly it was Mexico okay yeah uh now the SLA decides that they need to find a way to prove that she has joined their ranks and they need money. So they decide to plan a bank robbery. So they find a bank, specifically one that has video cameras, which by the way, extremely new at the time. There were very, very few of them. They had to case a number of banks before they found one. And they settled on Hibernia Bank. They needed the money and the publicity. And according to them, she insisted that she be involved in the robbery and seen on camera. She does dispute this. Um, but even so, again, this is uh, someone who has been in a traumatic situation yes. and is probably not making great decisions. Um, they rob the bank. They don't shoot anybody. They get away with a little over $10,000. And Patricia is front and center with a gun and a weird wig <laughs> on camera it's almost as if they found out where what the camera footprint was and had her stand in the middle of it and now they have video footage of her and everyone else and it hits the news and they give her her own gun as a symbol of her now being an equal member of the group and at this point her mom goes on the news and says that she believes that her daughter is a victim of thought control by terrorists. I agree, personally. Right. Yeah. But as is the case with many people when you try to say, hey, you're in a cult, uh, that puts Patty on the defensive. So Patricia sees this in the news, and it offends her that her this is that martyrdom feeling where she's like, how dare you think that I wouldn't be able to discern what thoughts I should have or not have. And her mom's like, you've been a captive for two months. <laughs> and I know I'm kind of an evil bitch in this story, but also you've been a captive for two months. Um, and so then Patricia sends another communique saying that it was voluntary. And I know voluntary is a nebulous concept at this point, but she signs off with the SLA's phrase. She also says, fatherland or death, we shall triumph, which is a very strange. It's all of their phrases sound super cool, but are not very straightforward to anyone that's not inside. Yeah, the they sound like they sound like slogans from video game villains. That's what they sound <laughs> <Yes>. like. <laughs> that's really yeah. true. What does that even mean? Fatherland? It's the it's the country that got the motherland pregnant. <laughs> but then he ran away. He didn't yeah. <laughs> ran away. I'm going to go shoot. I'm going to go shoot in the world's basement, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find myself more pipe bombs. <laughs> so at this point, her footage of being a bank robber hits the news and students at Berkeley have seen her parents charity fuck up. They have seen her mom partner with Reagan, despite Reagan kind of ruining her parents' charity. And they've now seen her say, I'm siding with the group that wanted to feed the poor. And so students at Berkeley start to hold rallies in the SLA's favor. And they start to kind of romanticize her specifically as a revolutionary figure. 
And the FBI is fucking embarrassed because it's been two months and they can't fucking find this group of ragtag theater kids with guns who are not even good at crime. They can't figure it out. They can't find them. And inside the SLA, they don't realize that. Now they're panicked. They're on the run. They're acutely aware that everyone, local police, FBI, is after them. Or at least they were until the zebra killings started happening. Now, this is extremely convenient for the SLA, but a radical faction of uh, four black Muslims, they broke off from the Nation of Islam. There's four of them, and they carried out a series of murders of white people that they just snatched off the sidewalk. Just like van, white person, dead. And honestly, they could have their own episode, so I'm not going to spend too much more time on it here. But police were then tasked with, do we find this heiress or do we stop people from snatching and killing white people on the streets? You got to know what the police are going to choose. And so they take a break from the case for a little bit. The FBI still keeps working it, but local police focus on these murders. But that meant that police were also stop and frisking all black men they encountered, which meant that DeFreeze could no longer go outside at all. And so they decide to split up into groups of threes. And Bill and Emily were hoping to be with Angela because they were kind of a weird throuple at this point. But instead, they get stuck with Patricia. And DeFreeze, Angela, and Camilla end up as a threesome. And I'm saying group of three. Yes. Uh, and Willie, Nancy, and Ms. Moon end up as another group of three. And they all drove to Los Angeles because that's where DeFreeze had lived previously. He knew where stuff was, and they decided that they would try to regroup there. Meanwhile, the FBI raided their apartment in San Francisco and found tons of evidence linked to the crimes and the group because if there's nothing else, that, like they are as good at making pipe bombs as they are bad at cleaning up apartments because <laughs> they are not looking for that security deposit. No, no, they're leaving a paper trail a mile wide. Uh, they get to LA. They manage to quickly find a house in South central, but they also quickly realize how badly they stand out in South central. <laughs> Because in their minds, remember, they're like, we are a black activist group. And South Central is like, what the fuck are all these white people with guns doing yeah. here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked so strange. The neighbors kept talking about them. And they decided that they had to split up again and find another place to live immediately. So they decide to send a team of three to A, pay a parking ticket. Which I'm like, I don't know why you're bothering. You are fugitives. Yeah. What the fuck? You started this entire thing, by the way, with uh, Donald DeFreeze robbing, robbing pay meters. Yeah, yes. fucking, fucking over parking enforcement. Now he's just like, oh, you guys are such fucking pussies. You have no idea what's happening. Well, listen, I don't, I can't take the points on my record at this point. My insurance is going to be crazy. I got I to handle this. Here's the other thing. They're also in stolen cars. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Get a new car. What are you doing? What if this I'm was like, like a moral? What if this was like a moral thing? And he's like, honestly, I was double parked that day, and really, I should pay the fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Or if they're like, hey, the money from these fines goes to the community. I, I don't know. 
I don't yeah, we're know. We're fucking up by looking for reason in Donald DeFreeze's stupid ass fucking group. <laughs> this is almost the craziest no part of this whole story, actually. The fact that they went to go pay a parking ticket on a stolen car for no apparent reason. It is astounding to me that they were going to pay a parking ticket. I don't weird as shit. And and also a little like hometown hilarity to me that the first thing that happened to them in LA was they got a parking oh, yeah. ticket. Yes. <laughs> right. I was like, welcome to Los Angeles. Um, so they're going to pay the parking ticket and they're going to gather supplies before the, the group split into those threes and spread out across the country. Patricia, Bill and Emily take off on to run these errands armed And their first stop is at a sporting goods store in Inglewood. And Bill and Emily go in to purchase stuff. They leave Patty as the getaway driver. And this is one of the things that people use as proof that, quote, she didn't want to escape. Because they're like, she could have driven off at any time. And I'm like, do you know how many Scientologists walk out their doors every day, live their lives fully able to walk off into oblivion and don't? Like, the prison of the mind is a crazy thing well and add to that you know i mean you're making up a good point about the scientologists but those scientologists if they just went to your average police station they wouldn't get arrested yeah and patricia hearse would like she is now on tv having committed a crime yeah whatever happens in the court system she has got some shit coming from her to her from the law side of things that are that you know if she decides to walk away she's still got a a huge hill to climb on the other side especially since she just personally pissed off the fucking governor of california yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she stays in the car. They go into the sporting goods store and Bill grabs a bandolier off the wall for shotgun shells, but then realizes that it might look weird with him buying it. And if anyone recognizes him from TV, they might make the connection that that's who what he is. So fucking he- sport is that for? Baseball? <laughs> Hunting. Sporting goods sell hunting I guess, gear. I don't think that's a sport. Yeah. There's not much sport in it. Give the fucking deer a gun, then maybe we'll fucking talk. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have thumbs. Well, that's the flaw with most deer is that they can't use guns. <laughs> just mount them on their yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> like a, just deers with Gatling guns in their antlers. Yeah. I'm put a fucking you know Glock on their antlers, dude. You know what we call those? We call those American deer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, fucking Bambi would have ended out way different if we get these fawns don't run. <laughs> oh jeez. This is what this is what I'm calling for. We need to give all deers guns. <laughs> so he's nervous about buying it. He's worried he'll get recognized, so he sets the bandolier down. But what he didn't know is that a store employee had been watching him and didn't see him set it down and doesn't see him purchase it. And so he thinks that he is shoplifting. Mm. And so he stops to frisk him outside the store and he resists and a security guard comes to help also named Bill. And so as the store associate shouts for the security guard, he just says, hey, Bill, Bill thinks he's been recognized. Oh, wow. What a weird twist of luck. Weird coincidence and fights back. So the security guard slash boss comes up and slaps a handcuff onto him. So they're now literally in the front of the store, kicking the shit out of each other, just like fist fighting. And across the street in the van, 
Patricia sees this, sees them trying to escape, and she pulls out an automatic weapon and starts firing across the front of the store, which gives them enough of a distraction for them to escape. That fucking say so. That's one hell of a distraction and a threat and a crime. Yeah. And and this is where the narrative very sharply shifts on Patricia because people were like, yeah, you didn't have to do that. You you could have just yeah. stayed put. You fucking, you didn't uh, have to go full Scarface, you motherfucker. What are you doing? <laughs> and and I would say this is one of those super bad decisions, but you know, also we're in a bad decision mode yeah, right now yeah. with with yeah, Patricia. She her her reality has been altered in such a way that she believed this was the best option for her, and I disagree. Uh, but I also. She is not getting a lot of outside information to inform these decisions. Yeah, so, and keep in mind, this would be different if it was like they had planned a heist and she was going to be just like shooting up a storefront while they did. Like this yeah. kind of happened right. spur of the moment. She wasn't expecting this. No, no, she wasn't expecting this. And also keep in mind, they're on the run from the law and she was at the bank robbery. Yeah. She is also on the run from the law. Her best hope, I think in her mind, is that they all escape together. Yeah. And so I think that was her way of doing it. I still, it's still a bad decision. Yeah, totally. That's okay to You're, say. Yeah. It's okay to say that she made bad decisions. There is anyway. no reason to go so, full deer on that sporting goods stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so they take off and the employee that was, that tackled him pulls out a gun and starts firing after the, the van. Whoa. Everyone has guns in this store. Uh, so they get a few blocks away and they carjack a new car and ditch the van. And they load almost everything into that car, but they forget one last thing in the van, the parking God ticket. God damn it. Oh. Regardless, they carjack this other car. They get it a couple blocks. It breaks down. They carjack another car and get in it and drive away. Now, this is where they are just full panic mode. And these are not professional criminals. Again, these are theater kids with guns. (laughs) And so they have no plan other than they're in this Cadillac driving around and it's pretty conspicuous it's a fancy Cadillac so they decide that they need to get yet another vehicle so they find an ad in the newspaper for a guy selling like an Econoline like cargo van they show up at his house they ask to test drive it he hops in the car with them and they hold him captive overnight essentially (laughs) As they tell them what they're doing uh, and that they're going to try and meet their friends, the rest of the SLA, at a rendezvous point. And he is a young, he's like 18, and he's just kind of like, I mean, it was kind of cool meeting the people from the news. And they were pretty nice because they didn't do anything mean to him. They just let him hang out in their van all day while they waited for the rest of the SLA. And then the next day, they gave him his van back. (laughs) They were really nice. They didn't grind the gears at all. They uh, made sure the oil was topped off when they were driving through the heat. They were really respectful of the van. Yeah. Yeah, he he also he happened to have a saw, so he helps get the handcuff off Bill. 
Now that now that is service with a smile. All right, that's what Indeed. that's what used car salesmen are missing. <laughs> but now the LAPD has found their original van and they found the parking ticket with their address. And now the LAPD knows they're in town. And this hits the news. And just in time for the other six SLA members to be like, those fucking idiots with the fucking parking ticket. So they hop in their car. They abandon the house on 84th. Uh, it's 84th in Vermont in South Central. They abandon that house, get in the car, and they just drive until they find a house that's willing to take them in for one reason or another. I think they kind of effectively carjack a house. <laughs> Not entirely sure. Well, that's that's why I love RVs. It's a it's a it's breaking and entering with a built-in <laughs> getaway van. Well, it, they do find an actual house. It's on 54th and Compton, and there is there are other people living there who just kind of let them stay there and i'm not sure it's unclear if they were on board with the sla's like you know message or if the sla was just came in with a fuck ton of guns the Um, 70s were a wild time man you could just show up someplace in a van with a bunch of guns to a house you'd never been to and be like we're crashing here now and everybody's like "Yeah, yeah why not why not? Uh, meanwhile, at the rendezvous point, which was a drive-in theater, by the way, uh, their 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 way to signal each other was to put an empty coffee cup on the top of the car. And so, at at the rendezvous point, Bill, Emily, and Patricia realize that the rest of the group is not coming, and they realize that they left the parking ticket in the van, meaning they now know that they can't go back to the safe house. In the midst of all this. The LAPD has the parking ticket and they cannot wait to get a taste of some SLA action because up till now the Bay Area had had all the fun and LA decides that they want to use this new thing they'd been working on, a SWAT team. Nice. So this is one of the first instances of people using a SWAT team and they were originally defended, they were originally designed to defend police stations during riots and protests. But this is the first time that they're like, well, what if we just like sent them to somebody's house, though? So May 17th, 1974. LAPD has their SWAT team that they've been training for the better part of two or three years. FBI quickly tries to train a SWAT team in the weeks leading up to this, but they don't have nearly the experience that the LAPD does. But they still send a SWAT team to that location on 84th and Vermont. So LA SWAT's there, FBI SWAT's there. FBI tries to big dick LA SWAT and they're just like, fuck y'all. And they just run into the house. Wow. Just Leroy Jenkins into a house that could have been full of explosives. Um, And again, the SLA were gone, but they're not getting that security deposit back. They left... (laughs) tons of evidence they left stockpiles of ammunition and a police scanner and a schedule of who took the watch shifts to patrol wherever they were living wow and the lapd is fucking furious because they're like do you realize that just by barging in there you could have gotten yourselves and all of us killed like you don't know what the fuck you're doing And so something really unique happens here that has happened almost nowhere else in any other case. Because usually when FBI comes in to take a case, they're big dog. Right. No one else gets to touch it. 
but they fuck up so bad at this initial entry into this house that LAPD takes the case back and is just like, fuck you, FBI. We'll handle it, you idiots. So, meanwhile, back at Bill and Patricia and Emily's van with their new friend. They pretend to hitchhike and carjack another car and send Van Boy on his way, which I think is really funny. But um, they then start driving around. They don't know where they're going. And they just start hitting the freeways. They make their way down to a place where they thought might be far enough to be safe. And that was Disneyland. Oh, my God. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, if you're unfamiliar with the geography of how Los Angeles and Disneyland coincide. Disneyland is about an hour south, an hour's drive you south can't play of them, Los though, Angeles. Because they got called out in the last place they were for being the only white people around. They decided to go to Orange <laughs> County where it's just white people. So they get a hotel room in Anaheim. That's where they're at. Meanwhile, the LAPD, now taking over this case completely, canvas the neighborhood around that house because they're like they can't have gone far we literally got the jump on them within hours here's the thing the sla is a bunch of white people with guns south central is a bunch of black people suspicious of white people with guns and so the second they're like yo have you seen a bunch of white people with guns everyone's like they went that way (laughs) within a matter of hours so same day they raid the first house that morning by the afternoon they have narrowed it down to a set of four houses a couple blocks away on 54th and vermont or 54th and compton so they've narrowed it down they start evacuating the rest of the neighborhood and they're walking around these houses and they get so close that they actually overhear defreeze barricading the house wow so they are like it's this house (laughs) like clearly it's this one because we can hear them they evacuate everybody else they surround the house with snipers media is everywhere and inside the sla has barricaded every entrance the lapd asked them to surrender for hours they're literally standing out there like please come out come out please because they don't know if Patty's in there with them. They don't know if Patricia Hurst is with them, still a hostage. They don't know if they're armed. They don't know what they have. And so they kind of don't want to start a Waco, even though this predates Waco, but like they're a little more cautious with it. And eventually an elderly man and a young boy come out of the house and they ask them, they're like, who's inside the house? And the old man just says, nobody, just an old woman, my, my wife. And then the young boy just says, a bunch of white people with guns. <laughs> That's what you, if you have kids, you'll know that they'll do this to you all the time. You'll like show up late to a, a thing that you were supposed to be early to. And you'll be like, all right, you'll talk with your wife. And you'll be like, all right, we'll just tell them that uh, you had work or something. And we show up and like, sorry, we were working late. And your kid will like pipe up and be like, no, they were, no, they were watching Netflix for most of the time. And then they just <laughs> left really late. Yeah, kids are assholes. Dude, they fucking knock on you all the time. <laughs> well, essentially at that point, they decided that they would start with tear gas. So they fired tear gas into the house and the SLA responds by 
opening fire, and this is on video. One of them leans out the window and just says, hey, pigs, smoke this. And then they start firing. <laughs> he was planning that for so long. I, it's not DeFreeze either. It's one of the girls. And I don't, I don't know which one it was, but I, uh, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, this is a very, a lot of people are about to die in this video. But God damn it, if that's not the best line, <laughs> it's so fucking funny. I couldn't stop. I was just like. Oh, my God. I'm glad that she nailed it, too, because if it was me, I would have been like, hey, pigs, spoke this. Damn it. Ah, ah. <laughs> uh, what's kind of amazing, though, and, and this is just one of those things where amazing things happen at unique points in technological history. Most of the news was still shot on film reel at the time. And so they would have to shoot on film and then run the canisters back to have them developed. And there was one news crew that had like a new camcorder that they still had to plug in. So they're having to like run cable and stuff. And they're the only ones that can get close enough Mm. to what's going on. So they end up on the backside of the house and they're reporting. And there's an amazing video of him like they're on the back of the house. They have open fire. And then he gets strafed with a bullet. Like right over his ear. Wow. Because that's how close they were. And there's just bullets everywhere. And at this point, people don't know if Patricia's in the house or not. uh, But they do know that there's a lot of bullets flying. And that's it. Screw it at this point. So the police keep trying to fire tear gas into the house. But the SLA had gas masks. They had thought it through, apparently. And they also, unfortunately had a container of gasoline in their house (laughs) the bullets pierce it in the crossfire the house catches on fire (laughs) yeah it's gonna happen when you have a bunch of gasoline yeah well as we learned from last episode they're probably like nah it's fine it'll go it'll put itself out (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. now here's the thing it could have even been worse because what they find after they go into the house is not only did they have that canister of gasoline, but they had a fuck ton of pipe bombs. Oh, my God. Well, to be fair, that's only because DeFreeze left his cargo pants there, and there's just a few in the pocket. So it wasn't intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when you leave your keys at a buddy's yeah. house. It's what we would call recreational amounts of pipe bombs. Yeah. Um, it was carry pipe bombs. I'm yeah, so yeah, glad yeah. that California so, passed a law, and I don't have to pretend to get medical pipe bombs anymore. <laughs> I have cataracts. Uh, I need pipe bombs. So they they do see one woman does escape the house. It's a woman named Christine Johnson, and she was one of the owners of the house. She's the older woman that was still inside. But what had happened to the SLA, because they'd barricaded all the entrances, is they went down into the crawl space of the house and were firing from the openings into the crawl space under the house as the house burned down on top of them. Yeah. And they continue to fire as the house burned to the ground. Wow. Practically with all six SLA members still inside and it's televised on the news. So Bill, Emily and Patricia watched from a motel in Anaheim. And that's where we'll pick up next god damn you were not kidding when you said all the crimes all the crimes so many crimes jesus this is such a crazy every episode somehow just ramps up even more than the last i know that like this story's so interesting that's why i'm so excited 
Uh, I'm still stuck on the fact that that piece of shit stole an artifact from a dig. You don't do that. I don't care. I don't care if you're kidnapping heiresses and stuff, but you have some respect for cultural resources, sir. He's he stole two. Oh, I thought he just stole one and broke it in half and made a pen made two pendants. I mean, that could be two because he's got he's got one. She's got one. You know, what's even better is that he gave her the necklace and she was like, oh, thank you. And then they gave her a gun and she was like, oh, hell yeah. This is the best present I ever got. (laughs) And Willie Wolf's in the back like no one ever appreciates Willie Wolf. (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, it's so, you know, Buck Wild yet again. Wow. Jesus Christ. And thank you so much for joining us, Bobby. Thank you guys for yeah. having me. This has been great. This has been, one, super, super interesting. Uh, and number two, I've never found myself such a huge fan of deer. <laughs> right? Yeah. This episode is actually brought to you by Deers with Guns. Uh, if you'd like to make this a reality, vote for Armando Torres as president in the 2024 election, I believe. Don't be a cuck. Uh, strap your buck. Yeah. <laughs> Hell Yeah. that's that's my slogan yeah i'm a i'm a single i'm a single issue candidate uh i don't give a shit about anything else what do you think about abortion don't care give deers go the crowd goes fucking wild (laughs) oh my god yeah this is uh no our episode is actually sponsored by our amazing patreon donors you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast to check out all the tiers and rewards that we have there. Um, also, if you're looking for a new place to listen to the show, might we suggest Rooster Teeth? Cock-a-doodle-doo! You can go to roosterteeth.com or you can download the app on your Amazon Fire Stick, Roku Television, Xbox, or your mobile device to get a bunch of really cool shows like Ruby, uh, you can watch Red vs. Blue, Genlock, but you can also listen to podcasts like ours, uh, Good Morning from Hell, Red Web, Black Box Down, etc. And that is super fun. Thank you so much. Um, Bobby, where can the people find you? You can find me at Robert Timothy on Facebook, Science Faction on Facebook, or Podbean or any of the podcatchers. Go ahead and look up Science Faction and uh, go get some weekly science news and uh, plenty of those dick jokes. Yeah, super fun show. You're going to love it. And if you want to find me, you can go to Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok and type in Mondo Does Stuff, M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. Uh, I also work with Rooster Teeth and Funhouse, and we stream a bunch. We do podcasts. Come check us out. Also, I have a Twitch. I keep forgetting to promote that. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Mondo Does Stuff. Come check me out. I stream every week now, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you could see him draw dirty, dirty Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah at this point it was a few weeks ago we uh i i i started out playing rocket league and then the chat got into a debate over which pokemon eats the most ass that i started by the way hell yeah so then we stopped playing games and i just started drawing horny pokemon um a lot of fun there's other stuff that's going on there too come check us out thank you i love you bye Mwah. bye uh guys i've got a lot of live stuff coming up so if you're in Southern California, keep an eye on my social media for that. Also, at this point, because we're recording this a few weeks in the past, um, keep an eye out there for Mutiny Magazine comic book update stuff as well. Uh, because that, at this point, should be 
pretty much done. I've seen final versions, super excited. It's going to look super amazing uh, and it's going to be great. So you can follow me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok. And also go check out Paige on Horror Virgin and Romancing the Pod, two super fun shows. Um, Yep. I'm going to say if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can by going to at Colt Podcast. Or at Cult Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us an email to cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. And if you want to send us any artifacts that you have that should probably be in a museum, but... Don't do it. Give it back to the native cultures who represent the descendants of those people. Don't even give it to a museum. Give it back to the people. Stop stealing artifacts, you bastards. I want to say Bobby's right, but also go fuck yourself, bro. (laughs) I'm trying to get a necklace. Okay, okay, okay. If you're a deer Mm -hmm. that wants more pamphlets of information about how you can strap up, get that Glock, get that AK, you can send us your information at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like Like the the Shining, Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I think for this, I'm going to say, don't drink anything a deer hands you. It's a trap. There are enemies now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, here's a tall glass of bullets. (laughs) Smoke this, guys. (laughs) Uh, And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. 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 Bye.